everyone. Welcome back to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Amy McCroskey, for this short series we're doing, focusing on women in ministry. We thank you for joining us. And today I get the privilege of chatting with Pastor and Missionary Chelsea Fry. You're not going to want to miss this episode and all the insights that Chelsea has to share with us. If you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, and share the podcast with all of your friends. And go back and listen to Pastor Lydia if you haven't heard our first episode. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Today we are privileged to be here with Chelsea Fry, pastor and missionary um, extraordinaire. And we'll learn more about that in a second, but welcome Chelsea. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, So before we get into our conversation, give me just the basics of um, maybe where you're originally from, where you live now, and briefly what your job looks like. Okay. Brief is the key here. Yeah, um, we'll get more into it. <laughs> um, well, I work with my husband and we are missionaries in the Dominican Republic. Um, we've been here for five years, so that's a long time in my book. Uh, I grew up in Wynn, Arkansas. It looks like whiny, so, you know, that's lame, but it's near Memphis, Tennessee, if, if you like maps. And um, I went to college at Mid-American Nazarene University on accident, ended up falling in love with the Lord, and it led me to the DR. Eventually, (laughs) my job is working with six different countries. I'm the field coordinator for global missions. We really like long titles in the Church of the Nazarene, and um, that's one of them. So my job is to discover, develop, and deploy new Nazarene missionaries from six different countries. So we do that through like events and through training exercises and through preaching and teaching at local churches. So that's mostly what we do. Excellent. Well, fancy titles sometimes (laughs) give us more more purpose. So I'm sure that (laughs) you live up to your title. So I thought it might be fun to start with just talking about how we met, because I think that's a super weird, creepy (laughs) story. Um, If I remember correctly, we met because you all do a podcast there from the DR and um, with your colleagues, Emily and Scott Armstrong. And what's the name of your podcast? It's called The Worthless Servant. Can you quickly tell us why it's (laughs) called that? Scott's going to fire me because I can't remember the scripture reference. It's in Luke. Um, (laughs) I was going to say Luke, but I don't remember. Yeah, it's something in Luke. You can listen to episode one if you'd like to know more. Um, But uh, basically, I I think Jesus tells a parable that he's talking about, like, we're all worthless servants. Like, what are we aren't even worthy 
of being a servant to the king. And um, so we're all worthless, but we're trying to serve the Lord. And that's what we talk about. It's a podcast on missions, uh, culture, church, just kind of life outside of the box, right? Right. And so how long have you been doing the podcast? Do you remember? Oh my goodness. I literally have no idea. Yeah. I my don't hunch either. is like four years. Okay. So I was trying to think back of, because that's really how I think I came to know all of you. And someone, I feel like someone randomly, maybe not randomly, they probably purposely posted it. I randomly saw it and thought, um, I'm desperate to learn some things. I'll try this podcast. And <laughs> Um, even though you guys were focusing on missions and specifically Mesoamerica region, I really related with so much of it because you were talking about uh, mission work and kind of out of the box stuff and church planting and all things Nazarene kind of. And I just really thought, wow, that was super helpful. And then I just kept listening and like, um, really creepily thought you guys were like my best friends in my car so <laughs> um, we could be I there feel- for you <laughs> <laughs> and so, this was at a time when I was entering ministry and just really like had to listen and now I just listen because I'm a giant fan but we eventually met in real life eventually yeah. um and I think that was when you came to our house church possibly yes yeah we showed up at your house um yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. my for it was this freaky like <laughs> oh my gosh I'm so like a super fan <laughs> so funny and I'm over here like Amy's my best friend I know her so well we're hey, just we're like we've never met ever <laughs> never met and I'm here I was sure. surprised by how tall you were <laughs> <laughs> everyone always is yes that's and I'm it. tall so <laughs> um yeah so that was a fun experience I think maybe one of our um church kids threw up that night and you just switched through it like a champ so there were there were sick kids there this was yeah yeah I was like oh no okay so all right well very cool so I highly recommend I'll do a shout out to the worthless servant podcast because it's (laughs) definitely worth checking out nice thanks Uh, yeah you're welcome you're welcome so well let's get to know you a little bit more um you briefly mentioned that you grew up in Arkansas, and I didn't realize that it was so close to Memphis, so that's really cool. Um, what was it like growing up in Arkansas? <laughs> well, um, my dad's a farmer, and he grows rice, so we spent a lot of time in rice fields, <laughs> um, but it was, it was good. I didn't grow up in the church, so that was a later piece of my story. I grew up Catholic, um, but my perspective of of church was very nominal um so it was a piece of you know it's the bible belt it's all there but my relationship wasn't so then tell us how you then became well became part of the church of the nazarene but also (laughs) you hinted at accidentally going to mid-america so can you tell us a little bit um yeah so i okay you have to know i'm an oldest child. I am totally stereotyped of like super responsible type A kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I like had this midlife crisis my senior year of of high school and uh, like 18. Yes. Midlife, (laughs) obviously. And and, um, 
realized that I wanted to follow a boy to college and make the ah, dumb decision to do that. A boy that I didn't know, mind you, this is important. Um, so I uh, changed all of my plans and went to a school eight hours away from my hometown that I, I mean, I had gone on vacation out of the state of Arkansas, but like barely to Florida and Florida and Arkansas are like cousins. So, Definitely. Uh, yes. so like to go to Kansas, Kansas city, I grew up in a really small town. It was just total opposites and like way out of my personality to do. Was this so, a Nazarene boy or just like no. random that an mm-hmm. Arkansas person would go to mid-America as well? He was a transfer student from a school close to my hometown. And so really we had met random. one night at a karaoke bar. So there you go. <laughs> great story. That is a great story. I love that story. Yeah, but I, I got, I got, that. yeah, I got to mid-America and realized oh, okay, this, like, I'm here for the school, not for this boy. (laughs) I'm guessing it wasn't AJ. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) Poor guy. He gets, he gets to hear this story often. (laughs) Well, hey, whatever, God works in mysterious. We'll chalk it up to prevenient grace. There you go. Exactly. Totally. (laughs) Oh my word. Okay. So when you got to Nazarenedom, especially Kansas City, when, okay, so you went there as, I'm guessing, not a religion major. No, <laughs> it's pre-med. <laughs> pre-med, wow. I use that to my advantage all the time on the mission field. I tell everyone I took a semester of pre-med, so obviously I know that they broke their leg or whatever. You know how to put on a Band-Aid. Yeah, I'm real good <laughs> at it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, this is why I love Chelsea. Okay, so, all right, so you get there and then... When in when on your journey did you tell me if I'm skipping anything? But when on this journey did you discover I like these Nazarene people, and or maybe it was even before that. Like when on the journey did you say I think I might have a call to something, whether that's religion or missions or pastoring or I mean, like what order did that come in and take us on that journey, Chelsea? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a long one, so bear with me. But uh, so when I, the reason I had my midlife crisis in high school was because in the Catholic Church, their membership classes um, are called confirmation classes. And I, for whatever reason, our senior year of high school was my year for confirmation classes in the Catholic Church. And um, as I was going through, like, they talk a lot about doctrine in those classes and all of these things that I kind of knew nominally, but like I was being asked if I believed them. And um, what I was figuring out was that I didn't <laughs> agree with most of them, but not for what most people think the reason like Catholicism's bad. It's not. I The reason I didn't uh, agree with it was because it was demanding when I read the words of Jesus, it was demanding life transformation and small town from -hmm. the South Catholic family. I'm related to literally half of my hometown. And (laughs) so like, I know all their business and the ones that aren't my relatives are like my cousin's spouses. So like, I know everyone, right. And I really um, helping us with this stereotype. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah, it's fine. You're you're fine. Um, <laughs> the the what I what I realized is I I looked around and and most everybody said in some way or another. I believe these things that Jesus is calling us to. And then I would see them on Saturday night and say, you don't actually believe the things you're reading. I'm not trying to cast judgment on their walk with God, but like in the moment, I couldn't see the fruit of the spirit playing out in their life. At that time, I didn't know what that was. I didn't have the vocabulary for it, but what I came to like realize in myself is if people are reading these words and then living out lifestyles, like I see being lived out, then these words hold no power. So if that's the case, God's not real and um, can't actually cause change. And so I don't need religion. I'm fine. Like I understand its place in society. It keeps everybody like good and on the straight and narrow. Right. But I didn't need that. I was okay being good just to be good. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the headspace I went to Mid-America in is, um, I did not go to Mid-America for spirituality. I knew it was a piece of the culture, but like I said, I'm okay with it being cultural. I just didn't need it personally. And my freshman year, sure enough, um, I I didn't know anyone at campus, like literally did not know anyone except for this random boy that was a senior. So like (laughs) not helpful in freshman orientation. Uh, In true Chelsea nature, I decided to run for class president because why not? And (laughs) yeah, got put on the class council. Like I, I won. And so the class council Nazarene people uh, kids had grown up in Bible quizzing and, uh, here I am trying to lead them. No idea what the gospel means. And one of the, the chaplain for the class council ended up being my best friend through college. Shout out to Brie. And, uh, she was a ministry major. And so she loved the Lord. I mean, she loves the Lord still. (laughs) And, the thing that was different was she was living out that relationship with Jesus. And so she would come to my dorm room or talk to me about God, but never like pushed me or made me feel judged or less than, but just encouraged me to pursue like holiness. (laughs) And uh, once that clicked in my brain, that transformation was really possible. Then God made sense. Um, just it was kind of a night and day switch for me. And then my soft, so that happened around my, in my freshman year, I don't have like a specific date that I accepted the Lord as my savior. It's just mm-hmm. a process. And then uh, my sophomore year, I was getting involved in church ministry, just locally. Mid-America has a giant college campus and I mean, college church. And so I just went to that because it was easy and got involved. And I was at a Sunday morning service and the Lord audibly called me into into service, into obedience. And, um, it's a whole story. We'll share that at a different time. You can ask me later. Yeah. I feel like I need to know that story. You Um, know, as you're sharing, I find it really compelling and maybe almost important to say that 
your story may originate in the Catholic Church, but I don't think there's anything unique about these particular people in Arkansas who were not living into the identity that they had put on themselves. I think we can all think of Nazarene people who are not living into that identity or Baptist people or Presbyterian people, you know, it like any Christian, I, I, I hear echoes of that all the time. And so, um, yeah, I just think maybe the story that I'm hearing you tell is one of you thinking that you're going to go and do something and the Holy Spirit is like, okay, well, I can work with that. Right. And so, okay, we'll do, we'll work with on that over here in this place where you're going to go, but I'm going to come alongside you. Um, yeah. What a beautiful story. Thanks. Chelsea. Yeah. I, I will say the, the people that I like were looking at their lives weren't just Catholics. I mean, when is, is in the Bible belt. And so like everyone who's anyone in town goes to a church mm-hmm. service. And so I had friends that were Methodist. I had friends that were Baptist. I had friends that were Pentecostal. And for the most part, I didn't see fruit mm-hmm. in, in any of them. Yeah. 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 I could say so much more on that, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So you audibly hear this call to ministry and um, I'll just respect that that's a long story, but you're, <laughs> you're welcome to share as much of that as you want. So um, do you think that was a call to, what did that look like? Call to pastoring, a call to the mission field, just a call to God? What did, what did that look like? I can share this, the call with you. I, it's not a private thing. It's just, it's long. <laughs> and so um, I was in service, just like a normal Sunday morning service. And the pastor uh, asked us to all bow our heads for the pastoral prayer at the beginning of service. So I did that. I closed my eyes. Now, College Church is massive. It's like 2,000 people. So maybe not that big, but it's really big. And I was in the back, of course, uh, and closed my eyes. And immediately, I was in Guatemala speaking Spanish. Uh, caveat, I've never been to Guatemala to this day. And at, the, at that time, I didn't speak Spanish. And I was doing like a Bible study with kids, with like young kids. I really love middle schoolers. So I like to pretend that they were middle schoolers. I have no idea how old they were. And uh, I was just leading this Bible study. The only thing I could audibly hear, though, was uh, this voice just saying, I need I need you to trust me and I need to know if you're really willing to follow me. Uh, Are you, are you willing to trust that what I have for you is, is enough? And if that's the case, if you're going to trust me, I need you to give me everything. And if not, I need you to completely walk away from this. Let's stop playing middle game. And so about that time I heard the pastor say, amen. And I opened my eyes and I was absolutely convinced I needed to be checked into a mental hospital. (laughs) Um, I had never heard of anything like this happening before. Like, I, I mean, in my relationship with the Lord was new. So like all of this was 
crazy about that time. Uh, my mentor and like one of my best advisors through college, she stood up from across the room and walked straight to me. And she said, I don't know what's going on, but the Lord, the Lord is talking to you, isn't he? Let's talk. Let's, let's, I want to hear what he, what's going on. So we walked out of the service and she shoved me into a broom closet and we, I told her the whole story. She said, you're not crazy. This is the Lord calling you into obedience and you have the opportunity to say yes or no. And I will, I'll say saying yes is the best thing that you can do. Uh, Satan's going to make you think that this is fake, that you just made this up in your head, but that's not true. This, this is from the Lord. I'm confident of that. So just reaffirming that what had happened was real. And then also still giving me the choice to make on my own and not forcing me into the yes. Right. And, um, so I said, well, you trust God. So I like your life. I'm going to trust God. (laughs) And basically the like agreement I came to in my heart of hearts that night was, Lord, I'm just going to go through open doors until you slam one in my face and we'll see where that ends up. I assumed that cross-cultural ministry was going to be a piece of it just because of the setting of the vision. But I often tell people, I don't actually think my calling is missionary or pastor or anything. It's obedience. And just to move forward in that. And so that's what I've done. And so far it's uh, led me to be a youth pastor when I did not like teenagers. It's led me to do an apartment ministry when I had never lived in an apartment in my life. (laughs) And it's led me to the Dominican Republic to be a missionary here. Okay. So knowing that both you and your husband, AJ, um, are called to ministry, you're both ordained elders in the church. Um, can you share a little bit how you have navigated two callings and, you know, we're focusing on women in ministry and that may or may not be an issue. Um, but I'm just curious, like, what are some things that you've come up against when you both feel um, called, but maybe, well, share, like, do you have, similar callings or do you feel kind of different and how you've navigated that and which which calling kind of you know gets gets the call first (laughs) I'm not sure I'm asking that correctly but yeah I get what you're asking the yeah so the the AJ and I are both called and we would both say that um AJ has struggled he grew up in the church and has struggled with his relationship with the church over the years and uh, just some forcing into leadership roles that weren't his gifting and talent and so it has made him kind of bitter to taking on leadership roles I'm like the actual opposite like sunshine and rainbows compared to his rainy day um but we work really well together because of that pause right there because I want to talk about (laughs) why someone would consider asking someone to take on a leadership role that they did not feel called to or may not have the gifting for do you see that as a gender role at all or just he was in the right time at the right place 
I don't know. I think a lot of U.S. culture teaches that youth groups should produce more pastors. And so sometimes youth pastors have this mentality of like, I need to push students like they they show leadership qualities or um, they really love the Lord. And so I should really push this student to move in the direction of a lead pastor. Mm. And um, AJ will probably never be a lead pastor. He will if he does become a lead pastor, we'll all be shocked. Um, <laughs> it's just not his love language. <laughs> um, but not because, not because he thinks lead pastors are bad, but because it's not his mm-hmm. gifting and calling. He's, he's incredible at discipleship and one-on-one and going deep. And I mean, I, I wish that I was a teen in his youth group because of how well he was a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that you mentioned earlier, like how have we navigated that? The thing that we've struggled with the most is that everyone assumes that our calling is identical. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do everything co-pastor, which also means we do everything the exact same. And that's just not the case at all. Um, we, we struggled for a long time in AJ figuring out if he was supposed to be ordained as an elder or a deacon, because he does not feel like a call to preach is his calling. He feels like that's my calling. Mm-hmm. Um, now we've worked on redefining what is preaching and teaching. And, and so now he's, mm-hmm. he's good with that. But when we first were like being pushed towards ordination, um, it was just assumed that he would be an elder and that he obviously has a call to preach because he's good at it. And he does not like those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big. So I think that's such an important issue to, to pause and, and just comment on. And I don't mean to keep bringing up the gender issue, but I have female colleagues who were pushed toward the deacon um, track um, because because simply they were female. And wow. so it's interesting that here we have an example of a male who says, you know, I think relationship is important and I don't see myself on the platform and the, you know, proverbial spotlight. Um, and how they, how just as, and probably America, we're, we're going to talk about this more, but maybe our American culture lends to that even more. Um, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to kind of shed some light on it. We don't have to go deep diving into it, but I appreciate him pausing and, um, this is your story, not AJ's story, but I appreciate the pause that you took together to say, Hey, wait, just because you can be an elder, is that what you're called to? Or just because these people are saying that now I, I appreciate even more that you also dissected what does preaching actually mean? It doesn't mean yeah. getting on the platform and presenting something. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that has been something we don't have figured out. So we've only been married eight years and almost nine, but it's, it's something that we have to work really hard at and I need to do a better job because I'm the more dominant personality in our relationship. I'm much more extroverted, much more loud. And my call is preaching and, um, is like leading the, the global church. And so I think 
sometimes I can semi-bully AJ into doing things he doesn't feel called to do. So we've had to work harder to like take a pause and I need to let him process things a little bit slower. As for like our big moves in life, God has every time, and AJ's gotten easier with this. The Lord has revealed to me in like 30 minutes that we're doing something big. Uh, So when we moved to Florida to be youth pastors, I told AJ, we're moving to Florida. And he was like, no, we're not. And it took him about six months to get on board, but we moved to Florida. And then uh, I learned a little bit from that, that maybe I should just like tell him what we're doing, but like bring him along on the journey. So when we moved to the Dominican Republic, I I kind of was like, I think, I think this is time for us to move internationally. I think the Lord has always been calling us to cross cultural and this seems like a good move. And he was, he was better on that one. And then like, we've just recently had some changes and I mean, I, I knew before we hung up the telephone, like we are moving and this is not great. So, (laughs) but he is, yeah. So this time he was like, well, the Lord has been faithful to always reveal things to you. So let's trust that. So the Lord's using both of us to go back and forth of like, God teaches me so much about his character through AJ and um, really confirms his call in AJ through my calling as well. So it's, we complement each other in that. Fantastic. So um, I know we keep hinting at that, but we are going to get there. What I'd like to talk about a little bit is your current position. Um, You told us at the beginning what you did. Um, I did not write down your fancy title, but (laughs) tell us a little bit about about the Dominican Republic, about the culture, about what you do there on the day-to-day, and I know it probably looks different day-to-day. Um, and yeah, start there, and then I'll follow up. Yeah, so uh, so I didn't really know what to expect when we moved to the Dominican Republic, but I had a little bit of culture experience with Central America, like Mexico, El Salvador, Costa Rica, and uh, Dominicans speak Spanish, so I assumed it would be the same. And I was very, very wrong. (laughs) Dominicans are more Caribbean than they are Central American. And uh, yeah, they're real direct, real in your face. I always tell a story when we first moved here, like our first week on in the country, we didn't speak great Spanish yet. And AJ was doing something to the yard. I can't remember, but the, the, gardener that works for the church of the Nazarene here came up to him and was like, you're doing this so wrong. You're doing everything wrong. You're, you shouldn't be doing it. Like blah, 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 blah. All these negative things of how AJ was just wrong. And then he like finishes tearing AJ apart again in Spanish that AJ didn't understand hundred percent. He looks at him and he says, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you've moved to the Dominican Republic. Would you like to come over for a coffee with me and my wife sometime? <laughs> so that was our our first dose of culture (laughs) (laughs) they are they are super direct but they are so loving and so family oriented it is incredible we've learned a lot about how to be the church because of how the Dominicans interact with their family members so that's been good we've learned 
a lot through that, but also their, their faith in God is something that I wish the U S church could, could just adopt into our culture. Mm. They, they trust the Lord to do what he says he's going to do in his word. And so for that reason, they focus a lot on learning scripture, on learning how to pray, on learning how to trust the Lord, because if they believe it, they need to know what it is in order to continue to believe it. So what do you think that. drives that? Like what, what's the root of that? Where does that come from? I think some of it comes from a more simplistic lifestyle. Um, Dominican, uh, Dominican economy is a probably about 30 years behind us. And so just um, technology wise and uh, luxury wise, like not every house has a television, not every person has an iPhone kind of things. There's less distractions. And so for that, (laughs) for that reason, they're, they're, they're looking for space filler in their life. And the church has done a really great job in some, not, not every church. It's the same as the States. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's unhealthy churches here, but most of the churches in our area in Santo Domingo, which is a massive city, by the way, um, most of the people here have done a great job of seeking the Lord first, which is really cool. So find a lot. That is cool. What has being a missionary been like, say, your expectations before you arrived in the DR versus what the actual experience was? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) So not specific to the DR, but missionary life. Uh, I always just assumed because your girl's from Arkansas. I don't have a lot of experience in international travel, uh, but I always just assumed that missionaries are like standing out on the street corner every day and preaching the word of God and going to hospitals and houses and like healing the sick and crazy stuff like that. Uh, but Checking through the say, jungle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> using machetes, which yeah. we actually do use machetes. So that's probably a stereotype. But uh I just assumed it would be a lot of interaction with people, like doing things with people. But I would say probably 85% of my job is on my computer. Mm. I am working on systems and emails and like coordinating things. And I, I do my part of my job so that other people can do the thing I'm kind of describing this more hands-on ministry piece, which maybe is the new role of a missionary of like, we work in the coordination level instead of the hands-on because the Dominicans are capable of doing it. They don't need me to be the one going into the neighborhood. They are very capable. The church in our neighborhood is incredibly healthy. They're planting like four churches at the same time. They, they have like five services a week where it's not just a service to be a service. They're actually like worshiping the Lord, all kinds of stuff. Go figure. (laughs) Yeah. So like, they don't need me to do those things, but like I said, they're, they're not as technology, technologically advanced as I'm used to. And so it's a lot easier for me to send an email. I mean, some people in our local church aren't literate. So they literally can't write an email. Mm. 
Um, but I can, I can do that because I have the global denomination supporting me like financially, actually, I have this ability to invest in ways that isn't as available to my Dominican brothers and sisters. Right. So, um, I think my idea of what a missionary is and was, it was completely shattered when I first got here to learn that, oh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that it's interesting how God has used your administrative gifting to do, to still do his work. Um, And so has AJ also seen that he's been able to use his gifting of, you know, discipleship and relationship forming in ways like that? Yeah. So for two and a half years, we did a construction ministry and that is AJ's forte. He did a building trades associate's degree before going to college. And so like the fact that he could work with his hands, but alongside a Dominican and like talk about the Lord with them while they're building this gazebo (laughs) was a huge, yeah, huge blessing to to him and to his ability to do ministry. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I'm always amazed at how we only see the small picture and God is in the details, mm-hmm. right? Like who would think, oh, I'm going to go help build a gazebo and share Jesus. Like those seem like such ordinary things, but yeah. um, God is in the ordinary. <laughs> um, recently, I was listening to a podcast that was interviewing Christine Kane. I don't know if you know that name, but she's like kind of internationally known, I think in the Pentecostal um, sector, but, and she's from Australia. And this um, man interviewing her was real interested in asking her about women in ministry and the struggles that she has faced. And I was kind of surprised, I guess not really surprised, but kind of surprised that her answer was only in the United States. I have never had an issue anywhere else I've gone in the world. And so I'm wondering what is what has been your experience in the Dominican culture um, when you say, oh, I'm a female in ministry, do you get any pushback or do you see that as like a a null issue? Um in the DR specifically, I can't think of any time that I've gotten pushback for being a female in ministry. I did get a comment one time that I should wear more dresses, but that oh. actually is maybe more cultural than like women in ministry. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's probably just more culture than, than ministry, but um, like our local pastor is a woman and uh, she is a board member at our local seminary. She's a teacher at our seminary and uh, she is fantastic at what she does. And so um I feel like for the most part here, women have been easily accepted in the, I work with six countries in total, not just DR. And in our six countries that I work with, uh, we have, we have two female district superintendents. So that's, I mean, that's in the, great. in the DR. No, in the six. Region. Yeah. In the six countries that I work with. So it's called a, it's called a field. It's complicated. Uh Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm tracking. 
Okay, good. So yeah, so in those six countries, which is 17 districts. So in 17 districts, we have two female district mm-hmm. superintendents, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, I don't know how many districts we have in USA, but more than 17. And we yes. don't have two female DSs. <laughs> I'll just point that out again. So so going up against the idea that you haven't really had any pushback. Um, in the Dominican, have, what's been your experience as you come home on home assignments and you're in the American church? Um, do you sense a pushback when you walk into our American churches? Um, is the expectation that AJ will do the speaking? Um, share a little bit about that. Oh, man. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot here. Uh, Absolutely. I feel a pushback when we go to the States and for sure, AJ is the one that's the missionary, not me. And, uh, have you ever been called the missionary's wife? Yes, I have (laughs) been. Uh Uh-huh. I've been called the missionary's wife. I've been told I talk too much Mm -hmm. and, uh, I told, I've been told I'm too, too animated to be a regular preacher. So, and, oh, we give really good we give really good presentations when we are preaching the word of God, not. Well, okay. Let's talk about that in a second, but what <laughs> so is, much. what is a regular preacher? What does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea. I have a male no idea. preacher. Yeah. I don't, what does that mean? Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit, like a presentation. Do you think that that's an, um, and do you think that's something that we've messed up on with, the way that we represent missionaries is that they're coming, they're a guest speaker, um, rather than saying these people are also ordained ministers, like, or is that just how missions is seen? Like, well, I have a question for the church that thinks missionaries are not coming to preach the word of God. Why the heck are you sending them internationally to evangelize the world? If you don't think they can come to your home church and preach the word of God. What are you doing? What that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Why why do we have missionaries that or why do we think we have missionaries that it's not their primary job to to make disciples in the nations? I mean that's literally the reason we're all going, right? Is is to be disciple makers. And then I come into your turf and that has turned off. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So that's my biggest like beef with the U.S. church is like, you believe in me enough to send me to the DR to preach. Why is that not good enough to preach Mm -hmm. to you? I mean, there's a giant disconnect between America and other cultures. It doesn't really matter which country it is, I don't think. I just think that... um, Oh, I was going to say, I hate to say this. I don't hate to say this. We see them as others, Mm -hmm. um, especially if we see pictures of maybe black or brown bodies and we see them as others. We just do. We think they speak a different language. They live in maybe more rural places. Their clothes look different. Um, Their worship spaces look different. Um, This is a tangent, but how come other world countries can worship under trees and in like coffee shops and places and we cannot find a way to 
figure out how to call that church in America. I am, yeah, it's a tangent, but um, (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. So your comment was, is that you've been told that your sermon, which you prepared for and studied for was more, was seen more as a presentation. And why do you think that is? So I, I honestly don't know why it's not considered a sermon versus a presentation. I think maybe in the past, um, missionaries, when they came back, because technology was not what it is today, they came back to share the stories of what God was doing. I would define that as preaching, but I could also see if it was presented a certain way it would be more of a presentation and uh, missionaries I wonder if there's an aspect of that you're there to ask for money right but we don't <laughs> so we I mean we do by nature of, of coming I guess mm-hmm. but like we're not there to push finances I'm there to push look what you are participating in as a global denomination I love the fact that the church of the Nazarene is a global denomination. It means literally the things that you do in Florida impact what happens around the world. And I think that's cool. I think that's more scripturally based of what the church should be. But I, what I don't understand is like, at this moment, there are more Nazarenes outside of the United States than there are inside the U.S. Mm-hmm. And like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and yet the U.S. is dictating the culture of the denomination. Probably might get in trouble for saying these things, but, but like, no, just I just think it. it's an, op- I just think it's an opportunity. Like when you have missionaries come to your local church and share what God is doing, like two things, listen with ears that are hearing the story of God at work around the world. And two, hear that you are participating in this because you really are. Mm -hmm. And, and instead of just saying like, all the missionaries are here to like ask for money, that's Mm -hmm. not, that's lame. Like, (laughs) We're not just doing this just to make money. Trust me, I don't know any missionary that's like making mega bucks and is doing this for the money. And um, <laughs> being married to an MK who got to spend their life doing this, it's not really that fun to go from church to church to church no. when you're home and do this. Like, <laughs> no. you would much rather be back where you are doing the work that you're called to do. So. Yeah, it's it's always yeah. funny to me. So we this this past home assignment that we did, uh, we had a graduation that I was in charge of the entire graduation. Like I was the dean of students, and um, I had to do it while I was at a teen retreat. So like we had to find this like cubby hole of a room to to connect to Zoom and host this Why graduation. Why were you in charge of it? because it's my job. Like that, it was, it was a graduation for central, for my, for my field, for my six countries. Yeah. But I was in the States at a teen retreat in the States. And I somehow had to combine two worlds at the same time. Right. Like I'm, I'm still the coordinator of this ministry and I'm also a speaker at this teen retreat. And so when one of the pastors found out that we were like trying to coordinate, like when's their break in the schedule? Like, how can we do all of this? They were like, 
you're not on vacation. I thought you guys got vacation for three months. And we're like, oh my word, no way. Do you I know, know how many emails? cannot see my face with my jaw just dropped. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's not even a week of vacation. Like it is no. working two jobs at the same time, essentially two full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. And being on like three, at that point we were on three different time zones that we were working with. Mm-hmm. So we were just mentally exhausted from trying to calculate what time we were supposed to be somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely can account for, I've, I've seen my in-laws do this work and I know that it's physically exhausting traveling, but also mentally exhausting to try to go and greet everyone and, and, you know, be happy doing it. And all of this. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that we need to remember that our missionaries are not just people who go to, like we said earlier minister to those other people that you know those those other people are our brothers and sisters in Christ and the work that you're doing is the work you're doing is not only important but like you said the work that we could be doing by giving and praying and um you know helping the ministry yeah I'm wondering if there's any other um, stereotype or something that you've experienced in the States that we'd like to shed a light on, something somebody has said, or um, just something that you might have said, this happened once. (laughs) Well, a common misconception uh, that we get told and commented on is we get the comment when we like show up to deputation services. Oh, I bet the Dominicans are so lucky to have you. I know they're so thankful to have you. They are just, they're better because of you basically is the sentiment of the comment. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is so not true. (laughs) Like again, I think a misconception in the States is that the church outside of the U S is unhealthy and mm. that is just not the case. Mm-hmm. The church here in the DR is is really good. It obviously it is the church. It is filled with sinners mm-hmm. and people reforming their life to Christ, right? So like right. there's issues. Don't get me wrong. And they will tell you the same. They know they're not perfect. But uh, they're doing their best to love the Lord with all their heart and to share it with their neighbors and to make sure their neighbors are taken care of. And so like no the Dominican church doesn't need me mm-hmm. to know to, for them in or, to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a piece that we need to take out of U S culture. We have this savior mentality mm-hmm. of we're sending the U S church to save the day around the world. And that is not true. Jesus, the Holy spirit, God is already at work in all of these different c- cultures and countries and and in different ways. And um, the job of a missionary is just a partner with what God is already doing. Mm. It's not to bring something out of nothing, right? We Absolutely. can't do that. I, I have this, um, um, I don't know, giant board in my, in my house that, that, re, that says that God is already at work and our job is to find out where that is and to join in. We're not yeah. to create the work necessarily. Um, he does not 
need us <laughs> to go in and save the day. And I think, unfortunately, I, I do think that the American church has seen mission work as that. We are the, I don't know, white saviors coming in to help. And we don't need to, we don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for helping us um, rethink that and consider some new things, um, not just about foreign mission work, but what we can do better right here in our own hometowns and how we can, as the church, welcome. I hope what will come of this is that someone listening will say, I need to do a better job talking to my missionaries and welcoming them and making them feel like they're part of the calling of God and not just a guest speaker that I'm going to write a check to, you know, and um, these are real people. These aren't just stories and photos that they're throwing up on the, on the screen. Um, Okay. So, okay. I think we've left our audience um, hanging a little, (laughs) but we keep going around your announcement and I don't know how much um, you can talk about it or what you can say, but you have hinted at a, a, a move, a new assignment, yes. and that is coming up really quickly, I think. Yes. Um, okay, so can you share at all what that's going to look like and, yeah. and where you're going and all of that? <laughs> yeah, so I, I've mentioned several times that the Dominican church is healthy and growing and expanding and truthfully, they don't need me. There are Dominicans that are serving as missionaries and there are people from our field that are going and serving as missionaries. And so uh, that's a piece of this, but it's not the reason. Obviously we're just going where the Lord, the Lord opens doors. And so we have been offered a new position that the Lord was pretty adamant that we do. This one is the first one that I am fighting him on. I don't want to do this because I love the DR. I love the DR for a lot of reasons, but a really big one is that it doesn't get cold here. (laughs) It's like, what is it? It's January 26th and we are sitting in shorts and sweating because it's so hot outside. So I'm not pumped about losing that. We are moving to upstate New York, Syracuse, New York, which is like the capital snow of snow in the U.S. So like the exact opposite. I'm not quite sure how this is happening, but how, how Lord, many feet of snow do they get? I don't know, but Olivia said the, the like this last winter, they were down like 50 something inches and they were down that many and they still had snow. Did you say 50? Yes. Amy, I am going to die. Pray for me. (laughs) So we had really cold weather here in Florida this week. And it was like, well, there was frost on the car yesterday. That's how cold it's been. So like 35, 40. And I was dying. (laughs) No, she, she just sent me yesterday a picture of these people, these crazy people in Syracuse, New York. I'm calling them crazy, which is a bad missionary move, but it's probably true. Um, They were on a solid frozen lake, intense ice fishing. I'm like, what is is wrong with you people? This is what they do for fun. You know what I do for fun? I go sit out in the sun by my little baby pool in January. (laughs) Not anymore. Not anymore. So we, we are moving to Syracuse, New York at the end of February. 
um, to start working with the upstate New York district for urban church planting, which is a whole thing that we didn't even touch on that. Uh, Santo Domingo is a city of 4 million people. So in the past five years, we've really come to love the city and to love ministry in the city and how it looks different. And you have to make it look different because these people don't want God. They don't want anything to do with it. And so uh, we feel like the Lord has really put that on our heart. The upstate district population is over 55% would identify as none. Mm -hmm. So they are not religious in any way, which is massive. I would say, I would say 90% of DR is Christian in some form. Um, So like you can see the difference. If I'm going to be a missionary, that's taking the word of God into unreached areas. DR is not the place. (laughs) I feel like we need to sit with that statistic for a second. For those who pride themselves in thinking that America is a Christian nation, that is a huge statistic. Mm -hmm. And we have blinders on if we think that our own country is not a mission field, you know? Yeah. Wow. New England is New England is considered post-Christian. And so it's much like England and Europe um, in that mindset of like, we've done the church thing and we don't mm-hmm. like it. And so we're going to move past that. And uh, inviting people to a Sunday morning service will not cut it with that mentality. They're going to say right. no, or they're going to show up and point out all the things you're doing wrong. They're going to be hypercritical of the church. And so if that relationship is lacking, if they don't actually trust the person they're getting their information from, it's not going to work. And Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the church as a whole, not, I'm not bullying upstate, it's as a whole, Mm -hmm. hasn't done a great job of teaching the lay people how to have relationships in their everyday life that reflect Mm -hmm. Christ. It is a very compartmentalized structure you you worship God on Sundays and Wednesday nights and um, you do work Monday through Friday and you do your kids sports on Saturdays and so like there's no overlap and really the the life of Christ is all intertwined right there's not a section that's just Jesus so um we are going with uh a pretty fluid job description. We don't really know. I was going to say, can you share at all what you will be doing? (laughs) Yeah. We, uh, if you know, let me know because I don't know. Uh, this, this seems Uh to be a thing with the Lord. No, it is actually, I thrive in this. This is the Lord has given me this, this piece of like, I don't need to know all the details and I don't need to know how it works out, which I'm super thankful for. And I know that's not everyone's case, uh, but I am pretty, okay with walking with blind faith yeah and a lot of people say that's naive but I don't know I personally am sitting here thinking there's a lot of freedom in that there's no expectations there's like a lot of like Holy Spirit like allowing the Holy Spirit to work and move and discover things and it's that sounds like an exciting adventure I mean scary right but exciting (laughs) yeah I I I'm so if it tells you anything, I'm the most upset about the weather, which is kind of an affirmation that this is the right move because weather shouldn't be a reason. I don't I do something for God. I have a feeling next year you're going to be ice fishing. <laughs> no, I did tell Olivia that I need, we need to try it in yeah. good missionary mentality. Yeah, like you have to do what the locals do. And, <laughs> you gotta fit in. 
Yeah, we need a snowmobile. If anybody has the hookup for a snow, I don't even know what you call it. Snowmobile. Snow I don't know. Cloud. I'm from Florida. I have no clue. I don't know. But you're <laughs> listeners. So yes. if you guys yeah, know yeah, anything yeah. about upstate New York or self-heating parkas, I've heard that's a thing too. Uh, shoot me a link. I'm Whatever. thinking right now, Josiah, it, when he is going to listen to this, is going to crack up because he's from Washington State. So he oh, always, man. he's all things snow. So okay, well, know. send me all your recommendations because yeah. <laughs> I I sold all of my winter clothes. I literally don't own any closed-toed shoes. So we're off to a good not, start. This is not a good thing. Maybe you should mm-hmm. leave them behind. <laughs> so we're we're working on getting new wardrobes for this move yeah Um, but we so for job but our job like we we don't know a lot we do know a couple of things we're not going to have a mother church which I know is not a typical church planting mentality uh but listen can I just interject and say I'm so excited about that for you (laughs) And that's we, all I'm well, going to say. <laughs> well, we've learned like statistically. So like there's, there's statistics that back this up. They've done not just Nazarene, but all kinds of different denominations have studied. Like if you're trying to do urban church planting, specifically urban. So the church isn't great at reaching the city. We're really great at reaching rural areas. And that is not a Nazarene thing. That is a global thing. Um, mm. we, we don't really know how to do the city well. And so if you go in with a mother church that has the mentality of a rural church, it fails. It always fails. Mm. And so it isn't, it isn't a knock on the existing churches in Syracuse. We're not trying to downplay their role, but uh, we want to try something different and we want to see if it can work. And so that's the hope is the, the real hope is that all of the Syracuse churches that exist would get involved in this so that there wouldn't be one mother church, but rather like a mother zone. They do zones in, in the district. And so all of the churches would be supporting, not just a single one. What would be really beautiful. Cool. Uh, I, I, I'm getting too excited. That's a beautiful <laughs> image of the church coming together just to support. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, so you won't be, have the title of missionary anymore or will you? We will not officially be Nazarene missionaries. No. And will you have the title of pastor? Yes. So we yes. are ordained pastors forever. Uh, we, well, unless somebody takes it away from us, I guess, you know, that could happen. No way. Our, we have a friend, cause you know, they always give those statues of the boat and um, we have a friend, we have a friend that always threatens to steal our boat. He's like, I'm going to take your boat for that comment. <laughs> so, That's so funny. I threaten my kids not to touch my boat. <laughs> I, I worked really hard for it. Touch my boat. That's that all I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we will be pastors. We're trying to work out. We, nobody knows how this works. Uh, so we're trying to figure out with Olivia. I, Olivia was on this podcast recently, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah. uh, we'll, let me progress to the next question. You are going to be working under Olivia Netcalf, who is the only female DS in the United States, and you get to work with her. That's so amazing. Like, what will it be like to be under female leadership? And what has been your experience so far? Not to like, you know, throw under the bus or anything, but. No, so, okay. So I'm going to back up quite a bit, but I'll be fast. 
Okay, so what we have realized with this move, before this change, we had not seen this pattern in the way that God works in our lives. And it is my number one um, advice to anyone in ministry. It now makes a lot of sense that we've spotted it. So when we, Olivia contacted us, uh, we originally said, no, we are called to cross-cultural ministry. We don't have a desire to leave missionary status. Like we thrive in cross-cultural and I have no desire to live in the United States. Um, those were all of our responses. Uh-huh. And um, we started thinking about it and every single one of our massive moves in ministry, every time we have known the Lord is calling us to something, those open door moments, I would say, um, it has been because of the leadership we were going to be working under. So it was never because of the position title or the finances or, um, moving up a ladder or anything. Actually, multiple times we moved down a ladder. (laughs) And uh, the Lord has been the most evident in something we are doing when it is working with someone that we either respect their leadership a lot and or want to like mimic and learn from them how to be good leaders and good stewards of the gospel, right? So when we moved to Florida to be youth pastors, we legitimately did not want to be youth pastors. We told the pastor we did not want to do that. And uh, he totally threw us under the bus. But the only reason we the only reason we moved to Florida, and I really hope Joel's listening to this podcast, <laughs> but uh, the only reason we moved to Florida was because we wanted to work with Joel and Pam Tooley. Like mm-hmm. we had no interest in actually doing ministry. We just wanted to, <laughs> to learn from Joel and Pam, right? And uh, when we moved to the Dominican Republic, we wanted to work with Scott and Emily Armstrong. They're missionaries. They've been missionaries for uh, 18 years with the Church of the Nazarene. And so like, we really love their missiology. We love the way that they mm-hmm. do the gospel. And so we wanted to be like them. So we moved to live down the street from them. And so with this move, we've realized it's not that we're done learning from Scott and Emily, but like, mm-hmm. I really respect the way that Olivia does ministry. I see God at work in her and, um, the way that she encompasses compassion in everything that she does. I want to be more like that. I want to replicate that in my life. And so honestly, like I do feel like the Lord is calling us to church plant. And I do feel like the Lord has given us a passion for urban ministry, but more so with this move, I feel like he's wanting to teach us how to be like Dustin and Olivia Metcalf of how they do ministry and how they work together. And so because, so going back to your question, like we've always worked for couples We've never really worked for a single gender. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but because yeah. of that, we've gotten both genders. Like we, yeah. we, we have leadership of both sides and, and so far in the way we've done ministry, whether it was title or not, the title didn't matter. Both people in the couple have spoken into both of our lives. So like Joel and Pam mm-hmm. spoken to me and into AJ. And so same with Scott and Emily. And I would assume just based on our conversations with Olivia and Dustin, like that's going to be how this works Mm -hmm. is Olivia is the district superintendent, Mm -hmm. but um, they do a lot together. They work together. And so we, Mm -hmm. we expect that to be 
similar in the, in the, in the way that we've been discipled up to this point. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it's beautiful. And I'll echo that. Um, Joel and Pam have also been, um, friends of mine and have open, Oh, maybe I shouldn't say open doors, but just been a seat at the table when I was searching for something. They've always been so generous like that. Um, and God and Emily don't really know this, but they have also shaped who I am simply just by me um, listening to their ministry philosophy. And Emily was profoundly instrumental in reshaping my ideas around sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, I give her lots of credit for that. Um, yeah. And so like, you just never know when you're speaking into the airwaves who you might be impacting. Um, and I've only had just a little bit of contact with Olivia, but I can already see just, um, just her leadership ability is already, um, impacting me. Like I've heard a couple of her sermons and spoke to her briefly, but just, um, just the way she leads is different. Um, so I, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited that you get this opportunity, um, even if it's going to be cold. Uh, Don't remind I, me. I try not yeah. to. I just remember hot chocolate. Real. <laughs> yeah, lots of coffee. That's Olivia keeps like reminding me. You can drink coffee like all day long, and it's fine, yeah, and you'll be fine. That is, I can do that now. <laughs> yeah, you can do it, but it'll warm your soul now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well. Um, I don't want to close without asking if there's anything else that you definitely want to address. Um, otherwise I have set a couple closing questions. I think if, if we're focusing this podcast on like women in ministry kind of, and my, my desire when I speak to women in ministry is like, be confident in what the Lord has called you to. And I know there's frustrating things that happen and I know that there's pushback and I know the church isn't perfect. And that's for anybody. That's not just women, right? AJ struggled with, with church. Mm. And, um, I think if you can be confident in what the Lord has called you to, then all of the other stuff kind of fades away. Yes. There's trauma and yes, there's frustrating things. And yes, sometimes I'm on the verge of losing my sanctification. I don't know if that's true <laughs> for you, but it is for me. And but the, thing that, that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the thing that anchors me is the fact that I am so certain that the Lord called me to this, that there is nothing anyone can do to take that away from me. And mm. so when I get those stupid comments of you talk too much or whatever the case may be, I can just say to them, well, at least the Lord gave me the gift to talk because that's what he's called me to do. Um, it gives those moments a lot more, or uh, it gives them a lot less power over me. And I think that would be my, my thing that I've mm-hmm. I don't know, gained through these years is like women in ministry is a thing <laughs> and yeah. it's hard, but it's, it's, it's worth it. If, if mm-hmm. you know, that's what the Lord has called you to. Yeah. Yeah, I echo that. I I feel like it's not a daily thing that I deal with, but when it pops up, it always it always surprises me for some reason. Um, and 
And when there's issues, I always think, is it because of this? <laughs> um, yeah, and I can't help but get frustrated by it. But um, thank you for helping us to remember that God calls. And, um, um, you know, I don't want to like, oh, put this shiny picture on it. Like, <laughs> just trust God, you know, right? Like, that's a simple answer. But it's there's so much truth in it as well. Yeah. It's what scripture teaches us. I mean, absolutely faith yeah so <laughs> I, I would not be here still if I didn't believe that you know and if if our call wasn't um it's the only thing keeping me here like I am called to this you cannot shove me away right so, yeah yeah so even in the waiting we we say okay God what is this what, yeah. what are you doing um so in closing then I'd like to ask you two questions what do you think your greatest concern for today's church is? And then what gives you the most hope for the future? I'm going to specify my greatest concern is for the U.S. church, uh, just because when we talk about a global, there's a whole lot of different things. But I think probably most of your listeners are U.S. based, right? So um, my greatest concern right now for the U.S. church is selfishness and, and an un knowing selfishness. Mm -hmm. So we're not taking the time to pause and reflect and evaluate the ways that we are choosing self over God and over mission and over neighbor, right? So all of those go before myself. And uh, when I see the church, it's always, well, I don't connect with the worship or I didn't enjoy that sermon or I need to get this done so I don't have time to do this other thing. And it breaks my heart <laughs> because Jesus gave everything, literally gave everything. I think, I mean, we talk a lot about the sacrifice of Jesus, right? That's a known thing in the Christian church, but, but the abandonment of self is critical to that. The fact that he came to us as a baby, like that is an abandonment of self and um, I think so often we get wrapped up in the American dream and the the ideals of climbing the ladder. And really the church should be the opposite of that. We should be seeking how to give away everything. And I'm listening to an audio book right now called Radical by David Platt. Um, mm -hmm. And I am loving it. It is all about an upside down kingdom. And that's what we should be striving for. So that's my greatest concern is an unknowing of our selfishness, yeah. but um, my greatest hope for the church is the global church, right? Is um, this idea that it's not all the U S culture and nothing else. And probably I'm going to get some pushback from that. We always do about like, well, it's not just the global church. That's the U S church too. Um, but I think the global church has a lot of perspective that we're missing and has the ability to speak truth and life and goodness into us and can be an example of how to model our life. Right. So mm -hmm. faith comes more easily to childlike mentalities. Mm -hmm. And we know that people who grow up in trauma have a more childlike mentality naturally. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, like this, there's this, beauty in trauma, beauty in brokenness, right? Mm. What is the ashes from beauty from ashes? 
And I think the thing that we can, can look around and say like, yes, there's a lot of communities that are growing up in poverty or abuse or war or um, like just awful things, but there is something to learn from them of in the midst of that, they can walk out into the street and worship the Lord. We were, we share the island with Haiti and uh, they had an earthquake recently, but also back in August of last year. And uh, we sent two Dominican missionaries over there to just help with some cleanup efforts. And they said, literally, they walked into a town and every building in the town was gone, just gone. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pastor of the local church who had a great relationship with the community called everybody out and said, let's just praise the Lord for the things that we do have. And so they sat there for an hour and just worshiped through song, through dancing, through praise. And it's like, why aren't we doing that in the States? Um, So I think that example that the global church has for us is so beautiful, so hopeful. And God's still at work, right? Like that's that's the end of the the story. There's still hope because God is still at work. I think we're seeing glimpses of that now in the American church where I don't know. I think we're seeing it kind of torn, being torn a little bit and a little bit faster due to COVID and it's going to hurt. Yeah. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. It's painful. But it is, it is a much needed, I think, um, just like, just like we need, um, like, a honest, retelling of why we have race issues in America. We need an honest retelling of why the American church looks the way it does now. Mm, And it's that way because we shaped and formed it that way. And maybe we didn't, maybe our ancestors did, but um, we will not change until we can embrace that. I don't think. And, and lament it, sit with it and lament it. And I think um, so many of us, I think that's where we are right now with um, American pastors stressed out and American people leaving the church, deconstructing, or we're lamenting what we cannot figure out um, the way that we shaped God into our own image, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just wants us, he says, no, 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 you're supposed to be shaped into my image. And so, um, yeah, I have lots of hope too. It's easy to get dis, um, discouraged, but through like just like you said, there there's lots of hope in the the ashes, and may we learn something from the Haitian church for sure, and from the Dominican church. <laughs> yes, and yeah. I'm excited for the future, Chelsea, and I can't wait to see how God is going to use you guys. So, awesome. thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your story and for giving us your time today. Yeah, I like chatting with you. So let's do this again. <laughs> for sure. Maybe not in a closet next time. We yes. Just sit outside. <laughs> Around <laughs> Thanks so much.
This has been the Millennial Pastor Podcast. This show is created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. It is edited by Caden Barksdale. Original music by Andrew Jones. And today's host is Amy McCroskey. We thank you so much for listening. And we would ask that you would rate, review, subscribe, and share with friends. And until next time, stay tuned for the next Millennial Pastor Podcast.